This is a Saddleback Church podcast. We've been walking through this series on navigating the Bible. And today we are at what I imagine might be the section a lot of people have been waiting for. The prophets. Maybe you've started reading some of these books before, right? like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, and so on. And you've maybe wondered, what is going on here? <laughs> these books can be extraordinarily beautiful, but they can also be confusing and hard to read. But as you'll hear today, there is something unique and special about what God has for us through these books. My guest today is Dr. John Walton, a professor of Old Testament Emeritus at Wheaton College and author of what I count as 32 books, including his latest, The Lost World of the Prophets. Dr. Walton and I talk about what we need to know about how prophets were thought of in the days of the Bible, the through line of the covenant, the difference between interpretation and fulfillment, and so much more. Truly, this is this is a fun, deep conversation. If you've ever needed or wanted a primer on how to navigate the prophets, this conversation is for you. My name is Jason Whelan, and this is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast, part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Now, my conversation with Dr. John Walton. Dr. John Walton, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate your time. My pleasure. I enjoy the conversation. Okay. So I so today we're talking about the prophets, this section of the Old Testament with a lot of uh, big books and then a lot of shorter books. And I'm excited to get to talk about these with you today. So as we get started, could you set the stage for us as we look at the prophets? So what, what can you tell us about the, about the authors, kind of the time frame these books are written. What are the basic important details for anybody who maybe has never read any of these books before? What is helpful for them to kind of know as they're stepping in? Sure. Well, the the time frame for the prophets we have books for yeah. uh, in the Old Testament uh, starts sort of in the early part of the 8th century B.C., and that'd be Amos and Hosea fit into that category, and then extend all the way through uh, the exile and the return uh, and um, down into that that post-exilic period. So several hundred years worth of personalities. Mm. So that's the, the time frame that we're dealing with. And again, it starts in the end of the monarchy period, goes through the exile and the post-exilic period. Um, it's interesting that you ask about authors, because <laughs> I think it's sort of important for us to differentiate between the prophets themselves and the authors who put their books together. Yeah, We have little reason to think that the prophets themselves compiled the books that are collections of their oracles. Mm. Maybe they did some of that, but for the most part, the prophets are speakers, not writers. Yeah. And therefore, they spoke to an audience, uh, and sometimes in a very brief time span, like Amos, 
other times over a whole lifetime of decades and decades, uh, like Isaiah. But somebody at some time <laughs> gathered those oracles together for a different audience, mm. probably still an Israelite audience, but perhaps at a different time period. So we don't know who the authors were. We learn all about the prophets who were speaking God's word into their time. Yeah. But it's kind of a that multi-step process uh, where we have the composition as in opposition to the actual oral presentation. Yeah, I find that fascinating. And it's something that's important to keep in mind because a lot of people, again, when you are approaching the Bible, you see it as this written word. And so most people just assume, well, this was all written down by, by these authors, by these books or named after these people. You know, they think of it almost like just the letters of the New Testament. Now, even, even those were dictated, but they're still intended to be written down. Whereas, as you mentioned, for prophets, these are people who were speaking unto people. These were people who were given these messages by God, who were then going and sharing these words. And as you said, at some point, a person had to say, huh, we should write these down. <laughs> and, you know, when, because of our modern culture, when we open up a book, uh, whether it's a novel or a biography or whatever it might be, we we tend to think that that, that book began by somebody sitting down to write a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and generally in the Old Testament and to some extent even in the New, uh, that that is not necessarily the case. Um, the The book is last in the process, not first. Yeah, it's also such a spoken word culture. Everything was communicated orally. That is, and it was passed down by tradition. And so it's just different for us. We don't necessarily have that 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 type of culture is, is we don't think of histories being spoken. Now it's a little different now with podcasts. And so I, I understand the form that I'm speaking in today, but, but it is just a different way, a different, um, a, a different approach to how we pass along information, how we pass along tradition. And that's true. And it's possible that some people, even as Isaiah was speaking, Isaiah, for instance, yeah. was speaking his messages uh, considered them of, of considered them significant enough to create a document mm. for that oracle. Um, even if it was written that close to the time period, still, that's just one document with one oracle. Yeah. And to create the book, somebody's got to go through whatever documents they had and what or oral traditions they had and compile those meaningfully mm -hmm. into an organized book which itself, the organization, carries part of the message of the book. That's, a, oh, yes, that's very true. So, so we've been talking about some of these prophets. We've already mentioned Isaiah, we've mentioned Amos, we've mentioned Hosea, but what can you tell us about the role that prophets played in Hebrew culture at that time, specifically the ones that we see in the Bible, but in general, too? Uh -huh. And and I'm glad that you framed it that way, because we do have to think outside of the context of the biblical books into the larger context of Israel, but we even have to think beyond that Israelite context to the broader ancient world, yeah. because, of course, Israelite prophecy is not a unique institution 
we might see a lot that's unique about Israelite prophecy, but the institution itself is not. Prophets served kings in the ancient world mm -hmm. as part of their advisors or more informally, just as people who had visions or messages and sent them to, to kings. So we have to think of that, that outside context. The role the prophets played was as spokesperson for the deity. Again, in Israel, that's Yahweh, of course. But in other ancient cultures, they spoke in the names of other deities. And of course, we know even in the Bible, we have the prophets of Baal that mm -hmm. Elijah confronts on Mount Carmel. So we know that that exists outside of the Yahweh context. And so the role that they played was as advisors, whether formal or informal. We find some of the prophets in the Old Testament uh, are actually formal advisors to the king. Again, Isaiah is a good example. We find others who are more or less lay people who have received a message overwhelmed by it and have to blurt it out, and that's Amos. <laughs> and so we have that that whole mix. And so in that sense, there's no, no formal role, or, or I should say no role in general that's, that's always the same. Mm. Uh, we find the prophets functioning in a lot of different contexts. And we would see differences outside the written prophecies, uh, when we compare somebody like Deborah to somebody like Elisha. Mm. Uh, again, they, they operate in different sorts of ways. But the common denominator is that they were seen as those who had messages from God that were delivered to some particular audience. Yeah, I, do, I find it fascinating the different ways that God used prophets in throughout all of scripture. You have some that God has told, go to these people and deliver this message, right? Like you can think of Jonah, God, you know, go and, and go and tell these people of Nineveh this message. And then you have people like Elijah who yes, have a message, but also God gave the, God gave the gift to do miracles of different kinds in order to show prophecy of, of God's name and who God was. And so you have these different components of what it means to be a prophet. And that idea of prophets, like as you say, goes back a long time. As, as you can see, even through the story of Joseph in Genesis, this idea of being given dream um, um, telling, it, it was different. Whereas Pharaoh you know, had these different people who he would ask his as advisors, what do my dreams mean? But God used Joseph to be able to speak to that. And so you, and then you see that all the way through all the prophets speaking on behalf of Jesus and be, be having the gift of prophecy in a different way. So I think it's fascinating that throughout all of scripture, we see prophets and prophecy used in different ways. And in, in this case, in this section of the Bible that we're focusing in on today, these are people who God has given this message to, whether it's prophecy about the coming Messiah or whether it's prophecy against uh, different cities. And God is saying, I want, I'm, I'm using you to get my word out on behalf of me. That's exactly right. Spokespersons. And Spokespersons. You know, that, that stands in contrast to our all too common modern way of thinking that somehow prophets were people who told the future. Yeah. And that, that would be a very reductionistic, very narrow view of prophecy that doesn't begin to cover the wide range of the prophetic books that we have. You mentioned the, the prophets of other deities in, in culture in that time. 
How did the prophets of Yahweh differ and and what was that relationship like amongst the culture between how people thought about the prophets of Yahweh versus the prophets of Baal or prophets of other deities at the time? Actually, there probably wouldn't have been a whole lot of identifiable differences between <laughs> them. It came down to which God you honored and which God you, you wanted to hear from. Mm. Uh, but even when they were prophets uh, presenting themselves as spokespersons for Yahweh, we find that in Jeremiah's time, for example, that created great confusion. We have Jeremiah and we have Hananiah, both presenting their words as the words of Yahweh, but they are exactly opposite. Mm. And so that left people confused. In fact, that was Jeremiah's complaint. Yeah. Uh, you need to clarify for these people <laughs> who's your true spokesperson, because we're saying opposite things, both in your name. So it would have been confusing for the people. Um, but for the most part, remember that outside the Bible, it was not generally the general population who received the prophetic message. Mm. That's one of the unique aspects of biblical prophecy, that they actually go out on the streets. Most prophets in the ancient world would have been focused on the king and his yeah. court. And then you don't have to think about how the general population would have received them. They never even heard what they had to say. Yeah, that's an interesting a juxtaposition, right, is you have... You have an, uh, the prophets that we've seen in the Bible where God has given this message to, and it's and sometimes it's for all the people, sometimes it's for specific people. But then what you typically read about in the prophets of other deities is they're just focused on the king. In other words, they're kind of focused on who's paying them. Are you paying me to be a, 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 a spokesperson for this deity of this region? Great, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> well, and sometimes they are paid. They're on the king's payroll. But uh, we have many other examples where the prophet, the person offering the prophecy, is just some. Oh sure, John Doe out <laughs> in the population, but receives a dream which is considered meaningful, reports it to the local magistrate mm. uh, because he doesn't want to be neglectful, and the local magistrate, not being want to, wanting to be neglectful, <laughs> sends a message to the king, and we have a record of it that's showed up in excavations. So sometimes it's just common folks. Too. Yeah, I was given a dream. What else about the cultural context of this time would be helpful for readers to know as, as they are navigating these books? Well, there's actually um, a, a surprising feature that people should know about, and that is that prophecy in the ancient world is a subcategory of divination. Mm. Now, that strikes us really as weird, because in the Bible— Prophecy is really a good thing and elevated and respected, whereas divination is a real no-no. We don't <laughs> do that, and that's not acceptable. And so we tend to kind of place them on opposite sides of the spectrum. But in the ancient world, that's not the case. Mm. Prophecy was just one of the different kinds of divination. Divination being all the different ways that you could receive messages from God. Mm. So dreams are part of divination. And dream interpretation is part of divination. Yeah. Casting of lots is part of divination. Uh, all kinds of, of forms that they had. But prophecy is one of them, one of the ways that people hear from God. So I think it's helpful for us to see prophecy in that larger context of how do we, how do we hear from God? Mm. And that was something people desired. 
certainly kings desired, uh, but wasn't always forthcoming or wasn't always in forms that were very clear for them to understand. Yeah, that's okay. So yeah, that's a great thing to keep in mind. And I'm sure our, our, our listeners too are thinking about even stories from the New Testament where where the disciples were casting lots to see who would replace Judas in their group, you know, and as you said, it's just another way to try to hear from God in that sense to, you know, to seek his will in that way. Sure. Remember the sailors on the boat with Jonah cast lots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that was a well-known procedure in the ancient world. And in the Bible, that was an acceptable procedure. Whereas other sorts like celestial divination were not acceptable. Mm. And the main difference is whether there is uh, the need for a human interpreter in between. And that puts dreams and visions sort of in a mid-zone uh, that, that could work well or not so well. Oh, that's fascinating. Is there is there any is there another piece about the cultural context that you think is like in, helpful for people as they are walking back into this Near East time frame, you know, thousands of years ago? Sure. Uh, another really big one and one that's hard for us to grasp is that when prophecies were given, they weren't necessarily considered a sure thing. Mm. They, in the ancient world, uh, prophecies were sort of one possible future. Mm. And especially in prophecies of judgment, there was always the sense that if people responded, it might not come about that way. We see that specifically with Jonah, yeah. uh, where he says 40 days in destruction of Nineveh, and, and it didn't happen. The people responded. And that's typically how it was believed in the ancient world. So, uh, a prophecy would say, this is where things are headed. Mm. Um, but how or when or where, or if those things could be altered, were all things that, you know, were still up in the air. And again, we typically don't don't think about that when we read the prophecies in the Bible, uh, because we think of them as sure things. In fact, so sure that we build eschatological schemes on them, <laughs> things of that sort. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think I think that's a that's a great context because as we're going back to this idea of prophets being spokespeople for the deity in this case for for Yahweh that idea of God wanting to send a message is just that is like hey people in Nineveh or hey people over here people over here like like if you keep going down this path, if you keep not thinking about me, if you keep forgetting everything that I've done for you and living the way that you want to live, this is what it's going to look like. And so that's a lot of what we see. And and you get that's God speaking in. I I love how that's an example of how God cares about us, that he will continue to give us these warning signs. He will continue to point back to us. He's he's not just standing out there being like, "Okay, I see them doing that again." death and destruction to all like he's like i'm gonna get i'm gonna i'm gonna warn them i'm gonna speak in i'm gonna say something <laughs> and of course there are times um rare but times we see in scripture where god says it's done this yeah. is not conditional anymore stop praying jeremiah this is going to happen yeah you no know? and so there there does come a point of no return 
But but I, I, in, in definitely yes. But keeping that con- that in my mind of who God is, that God is not changing. So God is, if God is saying this is happening, this it's not changing. That's the same God who does give the warnings to other people. So there is something in His justice that even though we may not understand, we can trust in His goodness and His justice and in how He wants things to happen, in, in how He chooses to interact and react to to the people, especially of that time and still in our own lives too. We have a responsive God. We have a responsive wants, God. I, I love that. <laughs> and he wants us to be responsive people. Mm, that is and prop the prophets in a sense gave people the chance to do that. Yeah. And, 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 yes. Especially in, in that old time, if we, it's hard to put ourselves back into that time frame when they had, Torah, but they didn't have the whole rest of the Bible like we do. And so they were going off of this oral tradition, this largely oral tradition, or these people were, were going to the synagogue or learning in this, in these times, in these ways. And what we know from the whole context of scripture, including the new Testament is that we have this relationship with Jesus. We have the Holy spirit who lives in us. We, we, we have all these different ways of being connected with God. And in that time, the way that they were connected with God in, in some way, shape or form was through the prophets who were giving these messages. And and the common denominator is that as we receive the gospel and hear the words of Christ and the messages of Paul, we're expected to respond. Yeah. <laughs> respond with our lives, respond with our you know, actions and decisions. And in that sense, again, the, the ancient Israelite audience the purpose of prophecy was that people would respond. Hmm. Prophecy doesn't have the purpose of telling the future. It yeah. has the purpose of ministering to the people and urging them to be responsive. I love that theme. So so I, I, I wanted to stick on this idea of themes for a little bit, right? As we talked about this responsiveness, what are some other themes that you see come across through this second, this this part of the Bible, these books of the prophets, and how might knowing these themes then affect how somebody might read these books now? Well, the most important theme is the covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, I I tend to view the prophets in in Israel as champions of the covenant, guardians of the covenant, and therefore almost all of their messages have to do with the covenant. Uh, Some of them are indictments, and they talk about how Israel has violated the covenant, and so this is calling them to account. Some of them are judgment, and that's uh, tied in closely to the covenant curses, that if they are unfaithful to the covenant, these are the kinds of things that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, The instruction that the prophets give is basically get back to the covenant, repent (laughs) of your unfaithfulness, return to the Lord, your covenant God. And then even the the sections that talk about the future are talking about God's faithfulness to the covenant despite Israel's unfaithfulness and how he's going to continue to be their covenant God and restore them as a people. So I, in that sense, the covenant is the main theme. Mm. No, I think that it helps to see that as this anchor and everything is pointing back to that. When if if God if people are are going against the covenant, they are thinking they are thinking in and living in their own ways, what God is calling to is, "Hey, repent and return back to what we agreed on. I'm here. 
I'm, I, I'm upholding my part uh, of this relationship. And I'm, I, I'm, I, I am reminding you, friends, I'm, it, let's, let's come back to this plumb line. Let's come back to this, this through line that we have agreed to through this relationship. And that's, that's kind of the story <laughs> of the Bible of God with people is God saying, I'm still, I'm here. I have this relationship with you and come back to me. I know you're going to go away and then come back. I know you're moving away. Come back. And it's just this constant pulling us back into alignment and into relationship with him. So as a result, uh, I think that other themes that we might find are typically sub-themes. Mm. So we can talk about the theme of justice. Yeah. And a number of the prophets talk about that. Uh, but that's because justice is built into the Torah, which is defining the covenant relationship. Yeah. So, of course, you expect that. And that's where some of their violations were. Uh, we see a theme of uh, of Messiah, of future kingship. And again, that fits into the covenant idea where God is their king. And, and he has designated a Davidic king to, uh, to serve under him as their human king. And so those kinds of themes that we see developed are generally sub-themes and relate back to the covenant. Yeah, I, I, those themes of justice and whatnot, I think people tend to go there immediately. As they see these books and say, that, oh, this is God's justice on display. He is calling out these people and he is, and, and so I see that. But having that context of putting it of putting that theme in context of covenant is helpful. So for anybody who's listening, who maybe you haven't read these books of the prophets before, go into it with this mindset of covenant and, and what God has called us to into this relationship with him for through, you know, thousands of years. And if you, and then any other themes that you pick up like justice, like Messiah, Think about them in in context of covenant and and see it through that lens. Try reading it through that lens and see how it reads to you because it does create this fascinating a continuation of this story of the Old Testament, uh, which is all about you know it, it's kind of, it's kind of this primary theme throughout the whole scripture is covenant God's relationship with us. That's really the the case that as we read the prophets, uh, a, there's a lot to be said for being in the proper mindset for what we should be expecting to hear. Uh, you know, I mentioned the four categories of message, which is indictment, judgment, instruction, and then restoration. And we should see those as the, the messages, uh, rather than just looking for things about the future or things yeah. about Jesus. Uh, we need to look at the bigger picture to really understand the prophets. And we recognize then that the direct audience for those prophetic messages is Israel. Mm -hmm. um, they're very targeted because Israel is God's covenant people. We are God's covenant people in a different way, yeah. but not in that way. And yeah. in that sense, the message is, is firstly directed to them. And of course, that's why I say things like the Bible is written for us, but not to us. <laughs> no, that's great. So, so we've mentioned, I think, most of at least the major prophets, but there's one that we haven't mentioned yet, which is Ezekiel. So what can you tell us about Ezekiel? Well, Ezekiel's a really interesting guy. Um, we find in Ezekiel already starting to transition into some apocalyptic kinds of thinking. Mm -hmm. Apocalyptic 
focuses on visions and dreams and symbols uh, more than the earlier prophecies had. Of course, Ezekiel also is unusual because he's not in Israel. Uh, he's already been carried into captivity in Babylon. He's prophesying about Jerusalem, but not from Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, his audience is the exiles who have been taken to Babylon. And even though some of his visions take him back to Jerusalem in spirit, uh, he's he's not there. Uh, yet we still find him speaking in unison uh, in, in numerous ways with Jeremiah, who is in Jerusalem during the same time period. So Ezekiel's an interesting guy, yeah. and uh, <laughs> has uh, but has a message that um, is not unlike what the people in Jerusalem were hearing from Jeremiah. Mm. And then for the minor prophets, we've mentioned uh, a couple, but it, it, what should we know specifically about how to approach some of these minor prophets? These books tend to be shorter and they tend to be a bit specific <laughs> and targeted. So what can we know about some of these minor prophets that would be helpful? Well, one thing that's really important for us to know is from our very earliest literature discussing them, they are treated as a unit. Mm. They're called the Book of the Twelve. We call them the Minor Prophets. Uh, that's sort of a bad term because it's <laughs> just they weren't very important. <laughs> minor. But they're, they got labeled that because they're shorter. Yeah. But they're, they're not minor in their world or in their context at all. But in, in the canon, in Scripture, they come in as one book, the Book of the Twelve, mm. in 12 parts, you know, in a sense, 12 mm -hmm. sections of one book. And that means that when we try to read them, we should try to understand how it functions as a book, how they all function together. Yeah. Even though they span three centuries or more, they have been brought together in the Bible the same way that Isaiah's oracles have been brought together. Yeah. Or Jeremiah's oracles. And therefore, we have to think in terms of the book. Uh, that becomes a little tricky because they're very different from one another. And again, speaking to different audiences, the Northern Kingdom or Southern Kingdom, pre-exilic or post-exilic. And so we wonder, what's the common denominator that holds them together? Uh, we can even ask how those 12 books have been arranged in our canon. Yeah. And does that have significance to it? So there's a whole different set of questions uh, to be asked. Um, you know, when we read psalms, we typically encounter individual psalms. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize that they've been put into books. There are five books of psalms, and they've been brought together into the book that we call the psalms. Yeah. And again, the organization and the themes are important. The theme of the Psalter is the kingship of God. The theme of the book of the Twelve is responsiveness. Mm. Jonah smack in the middle <laughs> to give this interesting example of people unexpectedly responding and leaves you with the idea that if God was willing to listen to these Ninevites as they responded in their own way at their own level, how much more would God be willing to listen to the, res to the response of his people? Mm -hmm. And so we can read all 12 of those books together and in light of this concept of response. 
I love that. So I wanted to talk about then some parallels. What are some of the major parallels between what we see in the prophets and between the rest of the Bible? And in, in particularly, I want to touch on the New Testament because I know a lot of people, a lot of people are more familiar with the New Testament than the Old Testament. So to give them some some context there, and I wanted to ask it in this way too: is that what knowledge of the New Testament is helpful to keep in mind as you read the prophets? I think it's really, really, really important for us to understand what the New Testament is doing with the prophets, mm. uh, because we tend to either not think about that or have certain assumptions that really don't can't be sustained. Uh, the New Testament authors are doing something very important. For the most part, they are identifying fulfillment. Mm. That's their message from God. They have a message from God. It's a message of fulfillment. And they convey that message through their books to their audiences. They are not trying to interpret the Old Testament prophet. Mm. Uh, by interpret, I'm using that fairly narrowly here. That is, they're not trying to go back to the Old Testament context and say, what did this message of the prophet mean to his audience, to the people of his day? <laughs> Um, what do the Hebrew words mean? How's the literary structure <laughs> set up? You know, that process of interpretation that tries to understand the text in context. Mm. I call that paying attention to the author's intention. Sure. That is, we try to understand the text in context. What did the prophet know? What did he expect his audience to know and respond to? That's text in context. The New Testament authors are not doing text in context. Mm -hmm. They're not even trying. <laughs> they want to redeploy that prophet's word to their own contexts. They're not trying to reiterate that message that the prophet had to his audience. They're giving a new message, mm. and that message is one of how this prophet's message can be seen to find fulfillment today. Mm oftentimes in Jesus. Yeah. Okay? So, when we look at the New Testament perspective, we have to keep in mind that they are not trying to tell us what the Old Testament prophet's message was. They're trying to tell us how that is fulfilled in their time. As a result, when somebody like Hosea, I'm sorry, somebody like Matthew picks up Hosea yeah. and takes the prophecy, out of Egypt I have called my son. Okay, that has a very specific context in Hosea. And it's talking about the past. And nobody prior to the New Testament would have said, oh, this is part of what Messiah is going to do. He's going to come <laughs> out of Egypt. And then Matthew comes along, and when Jesus' parents bring him out of Egypt, he cites Hosea 11 as fulfilled mm. by Jesus. And we scratch our heads and we say, wow, how would anybody have gotten that? <laughs> they wouldn't have. <laughs> this is the message that Matthew has received about fulfillment. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we go back to Hosea and say, oh, Hosea was talking about Jesus. <laughs> and he didn't know it. And none of his audience knew it. But he was. Yeah. Because Matthew says so. No, Matthew does not say that. Matthew says that what Hosea said was fulfilled in Jesus. Mm. And they're different things. 
That's okay. So that's so helpful for people to separate the idea of what the prophets were speaking to in their time, who they were talking to in their in, in their time, in their audience, in those messages that God has given them. Of course, God knew that thousands of years later, you know, 800 years later, whatever it was we're talking about, that that he would be inspiring Matthew to see Hosea written in a different, you know, it's to, to see fulfillment in a different light. But it didn't change the fact that God was speaking to a specific audience in the prophets and that the New Testament authors were still in conversation with God, having this, being able to see what fulfillment means in a different way. Those two things being different yet connected. Yes. And see, that speaks to what our job is. Mm. Our job is not to decide what God knew. That's yeah. a no-brainer. God knows everything. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Done. We're finished. The conversation. Okay? But we're interested in biblical authority. Yeah. And biblical authority isn't just about what God knows. It's about what he communicated to people who put it in text. All graphe, all scripture mm-hmm. is inspired. And it's scripture that has authority. And that scripture is written by human authors with human intentions that carry the authority of God vested in them. So we're interested in what the authors knew, mm-hmm. okay, because that's what has authority. So the message of the prophet to his people has to be understood in their time, in their context. We don't want to read fulfillment back into that. We want to see how it blossoms into fulfillment. And so what the prophet has to say to his audience, regardless of what the New Testament has to say about it, has authority. And that stands right alongside equally with the authority of the New Testament author who identifies fulfillment for his audience. Different messages, both having authority, standing side by side, linked by words that God has given. that picture of blossoming into fulfillment stood out to me as you were talking about that. Is 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 God is is God uses time to in in, in order to fulfill the like his message to us, his community, you know, his relationship with us, and for him, you know, ha- having that time span between when the prophets were written, between the New Testament written, great. That's that's it's you know uh, uh, for us it feels like wow, this is like so much time has passed. These couldn't be more different. And yet for God's like, no, this is my message (laughs) across all of time. (laughs) Well, remember that fulfillment in message is a process of connecting dots. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament prophets aren't connecting dots. They've only got one dot. (laughs) The New Testament authors are connecting dots. But we have to see also that those dots, any number of dots can be connected in any number of ways. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that just happens to be the one that God gave that New Testament author. Yeah, there are plenty of other dots, perhaps. Sure, uh, but we only have authority for the ones that that are mentioned. Yeah, and so it's it's this connecting dots process. But remember that some prophecies are fulfilled multiple times. Yeah, which means there are different dots that you can connect back to that first dot. Uh, so we understand, for instance, the abomination of desolation. Mm. You know, that's fulfilled in the second century BC in Antiochus Epiphanes fourth, but is fulfilled again in the destruction of the Jerusalem by the Romans. Mm-hmm. And Jesus looks forward to that one. And so this idea that there can be multiple fulfillments 
um, makes this a lot more complex. It also should warn us about thinking we know exactly how to connect the dots. <laughs> Stand a, down. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> so I, I'm so excited that you have a new book that is coming out just around the time when this episode releases called The, the Last World of the Prophets. So it, it, I know that you've spent so much time and energy in studying these books. So what is maybe one thing, may, and more if you want, but what is it one thing that you have learned about these books that you think everybody should know? Well, really, it's the one that we were just talking about. Oh, great. That is that prophecy and fulfillment are different things. Mm. That we should not, therefore, um, only study the prophets through the fulfillment. Mm. That's only going to catch a small swath. Uh, there's plenty more to the prophets that really doesn't have anything to do with fulfillment, yet is God's authoritative word. And even though those messages of judgment or indictment, instruction were specifically to Israel in the covenant, we can learn from those messages what makes the heart of God tick, mm. how, how God is thinking about his people. And lots of those indictments, maybe we're not guilty of the same things, but we're probably guilty of similar things. Yeah. Lots of those judgments were specific threats for Israel's scenario, but we understand how seriously God takes the faithfulness of his people. And so we can learn from the messages. We don't have to just learn from the fulfillments. Mm. We shouldn't just be using the prophets to try to configure the future last times. We should be using the prophets to hear the heart of God as he addresses his people. Message and fulfillment are different things. Oh, I, I love that encouragement to to as you're reading these books these books of the prophets being able to look at them in so many different ways being able to look at them as what were what was god's message to israel at that time what was he speaking to them and in, in why and what was going on in that context what was he calling them to and then how how do i see fulfillment in the new testament through what i'm reading and you can read the different commentaries or the interlinears to to see where things are referenced in the new testament but to see is see that as two almost separate readings and then looking at it from your own like okay what am i learning about the heart of god in this and how is he still speaking to me through his spirit through the illuminated word how am i how how is he speaking to even me through these books right now and i just love how we can have these different approaches to this this section of the Bible and see God's heart, as you said, in a different way than we can in, in some of the other sections. It's just, it's it's still looking at God's heart, it's still learning from him and hearing his word, but in a different way. And I find that fascinating. I think it really opens up the prophets as God's word in a way that our other typical approaches uh, don't do. <laughs> I agree. Well, I encourage you all to, to look for Dr. Walton's new book, The Lost World of the Prophets. The link is in the show notes below. I believe it comes out on February 27th. Is that, is that, is that I right? I believe that's the Amazon launch. Yes. That's, that, that would be the launch, but it's available for pre-order now. So Dr. Walton, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you helping us navigate this world of the prophets. Thanks, Jason. I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope folks have uh, gotten some benefit from it. 
All right, let's look at some next steps out of this conversation. First, we mentioned reading the prophets in different ways. So try choosing one of the books, maybe not start with one of the longer ones, and try practicing this, right? How would this message have been heard to the original listeners? That's one way. Is there fulfillment from this message in the New Testament? And then how is God wanting to speak to me through this reading now, right? Having these different lenses, these different ways to approach reading these books of the prophets is a really uh, helpful, fascinating exercise. Second, I, I mentioned this in the conversation. I, I mentioned this in the intro. Make sure to check out Dr. Walton's new book, The Lost World of the Prophets. I'll put the link to that in the show notes, along with the links to some of his uh, other books in the show notes as well. Dr. Walton is such a wealth of knowledge, and I love his approach to how to teach through the Old Testament uh, for people to really see God's heart in it. That's, it's, it was so much fun to talk to him about that. So friends, my name is Jason. This has been Doable Discipleship. We'll be back with you again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.